Thank you for joining us today in another message of Stay Positive. I believe this will be the conclusion of this series, but not a conclusion to staying positive. We're going to need to continue to uh, practice all the things that we've been talking about to stay positive in a very challenging time. Boy, hasn't it been challenging? It seems like every week new challenges come our direction. The stress levels are running high. Frustration is running high. The things that we're used to are gone. Things feel out of control. Seems like stress levels are just kind of spilling over in ways that are unpredictable in so so many cases. And so we have... um, encouragement that we need to focus on as we're learning how to stay positive and learning how to cope in the middle of all of this. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like I've noticed this. It seems like we see more people out and about uh, coping by exercising, whether they're walking or jogging or running or riding a bicycle or hiking. It seems like I see more people out trying to cope. And uh, that seems so... Uh, so important at this time because it really does help. I I see it in my neighborhood. Maybe you've noticed that too. But I I have this question to ask. Is it enough? Is it enough? Um, Maybe I'll ask another question. Do you find yourself um, kind of rummaging through the cupboard or the refrigerator looking for ways to cope? I, I tend to look to comfort food or snacks when I'm feeling stressed. It's maybe a bad habit, but, you know, comfort food's good. God gives us good gifts, and in a sense, it does give us a little bit of comfort there. But we have to ask that question again, is it enough to cope? And so we're looking at a message today that is going to be a, a better solution that is, is enough, and the message is simply entitled, Come to Me. Come to me. This is a statement from Jesus we'll be looking at uh, more closely in in some of the uh, statements he made related to that phrase. And um, so as we need a more comprehensive answer in our coping, because we're not finding the little the good gifts that God has given us, exercise is a good gift, getting out is a good gift, food is a good gift. As we're turning to these kind of coping good gifts that we have, it's really not adequate unless we actually come to the giver of these gifts. And so I have a question to get us rolling on this topic to start us off, and it reads this way. When things go out of your control and you are struggling, what do you do to cope? What do you do to cope? We've been talking about a lot of this kind of thing for uh, some time now about uh, the kinds of habits that we need and the kinds of things that we need to do to cope and coming to God. But good gifts, even spiritual good gifts like coming together and prayer, um, sometimes we can approach these things in a way that's not quite enough as well. So I want to start with a little bit of a shocking uh, statement of Jesus that uh, sometimes we can even come to a very, very good gift from God, and it's not quite enough. And it's, we're going to start in John chapter 5, 39 through 40, and this is Jesus's words and kind of a confrontation where he says, you study the scriptures diligently, Because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See, he was actually confronting the religious elite uh, leaders of his day that were well-versed in the Bible, their Bible, Jewish Bible, the Old Testament as we have it. Um, New Testament wasn't written yet. And they're coming to the scriptures and it's all about him, Jesus, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ. And yet, uh, although they come to the scriptures, they refuse to come to Jesus. That's a malady that um, we experience possibly even today. That as we're trying to cope, we come to things that are good gifts from God, and yet if we don't come to the giver himself, uh, those coping mechanisms are not gonna be enough. It's a very important ingredient coming to Jesus. If you don't come to Jesus, you can come to church and that's not enough. There are people that come to church and and go through a churchy experience. There are people that come to online church and just kind of listen and never really bring their hearts before Jesus and come to Jesus. You can come to scripture and read scripture and never really allow that scripture to bring you to Jesus and you can let your frustration, your anger, your resentment at things taken away from you get in the way between you and God and never really come to Jesus even though you're coming to the Bible. You can even come to prayer and not really come to God. We've seen uh, Jesus tell a parable like that where the religious elite, the Pharisee, was praying in a way that really didn't come to God in a humble way and he didn't come away actually having the benefits of prayer. So these very good things, if we don't have the most important ingredient coming to Jesus, we're gonna find fall far short. Some said, and Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, there will be some who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And he says, get away from me, I never knew you. You can do religious activity and still be far from Jesus. And so we better get a hold of this because this is how we stay positive. Employ the good gifts, yes, but make sure we come to Jesus also. And so in light of that, we're gonna come to the main section of what we're trying to read today where Jesus says, come to me. It's found in Matthew chapter 11. We're gonna read verses 28 through 30 and then we're gonna um, look at it piece by piece. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now we're gonna look at that kind of piece by piece, but before we look at that, I wanna kind of put it in context because this come to me phrase is very comforting. Um, but he used a phrase just uh, sentences earlier that were uh, not comforting, they were actually very alarming. And the phrase was woe to you. Woe to you is in stark contrast to come to me. And I want us to back up to verse 21. This is same chapter, Matthew 11, verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, 
Bethsaida. Now, these are not people. These are cities. Jesus had been doing miracles in these cities and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And people in other places were seeing the miracles and seeing this proclamation and turning in faith, but not Chorazin, not Bethsaida. He says, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Wow, that is a, an alarming warning here. Woe to you, in contrast to the phrase, come to me. Point number one, woe to you when you don't come to me. That's the contrast If you come to Jesus, you will not experience the woe that will come to you. It's very difficult to, while you're reading text, you you know, when I read it, I read it with a tone. And so some of the tone, it has to be interpreted from the context. And it's sometimes not easy to figure out what kind of tone is being used when all we have is print in front of us. We don't hear whether it's an angry tone on Jesus' part. Woe to you, Chorazin. Is, it, is he red-faced and angry and this is a final judgment kind of statement or is it a sad tone? Where he's, there's great sadness. He came to bring hope and he came to bring healing. He came to bring an invitation and it was rejected and there's great sadness in his tone. There's one thing I do know. This is not the last word because the passage we're studying is invitational. It's kind and good. Come to me, those of you who are burdened and weary. And so let's just acknowledge the fact that this is good news that he offers an invitation at this point. The final judgment, the final woe to you when he says the statement and the, all the accounting books uh, with regard to judgment are closed, then it's final. But right now, he's sad every time we don't come to him. He's sad when we aren't really fully accepting his invitation to come to him. And the invitation almost immediately follows his sadness. Here's the answer. Will you take it? Now I want us to back up a little further and just see a little bit more in terms of context. Who is writing this book, Matthew? (laughs) Matthew is. Who was Matthew before he became a disciple of Jesus? He was a rebellious, hard-hearted, greedy tax collector. He was a Jew who had turned his back on his whole heritage, turned his back on his whole religion, and was now greedily collecting taxes for the Romans among his brothers and extorting whatever he could to make a living and to be well off. Jesus walked by this Matthew and he didn't bring the woe to you message He didn't bring the condemnation message and try to correct Matthew and say, how how come you're doing this? He brought an invitational message, much like the message that we're focusing on today. 
And in one invitational message, Jesus just simply said to Matthew, follow me. And in that moment, whatever it was in the tone or in the face of Jesus or in what Matthew knew about Jesus from his brief exposure to him, Matthew left it all. He left the bitterness, he left the rebellion, he left all the anger, he left the chip on his shoulder, he left his income, he left it all and followed Jesus. How did Jesus do that where you've got this hateful, rebellious, anti-God kind of stance, sitting sideways with God, doing something atrocious in God's people and with God's people? How did Jesus do that? Jesus was so full of grace, he looked into Matthew's face and saw what grace could do in Matthew's future. And then he just simply says, follow me. There's the invitation. So the invitation is there for us today. We might be bitter, we might be frustrated, we might be angry at God because of what we're experiencing in the middle of all of this global mess that we just pour into our living rooms, whether it's on the screen or reading the news and we're just frustrated and it's not going the way we want it to go, it's out of our control. In that moment, Jesus can simply say to us right now, come to me. And if we will leave that anger behind and leave that frustration behind and begin to trust that face that has got in it a love and an acceptance and a hope for our future. It's so much grace that he sees where we can go if we'll just follow him. It's an invitation. If we'll receive that kind of invitation today, our whole trajectory will change just like it changed Matthew. And just like Matthew could change from a bad news person to one who's writing the very gospel, which means good news of Jesus, he's the writer of the gospel, and we're reading it today, that kind of dramatic change can take place in our life too. From a negative message to a positive message, when I began to follow Jesus and come to Jesus, here's the positive message that I experience, and you can too. So I hope that you'll Listen in, and you'll allow these words to wash over you. This invitation changed from a woe to you to come to me. You see, I've experienced a lot of woe to me. It's woe to me when I go my own way and get hard-hearted towards Jesus, get angry at people, be defensive and filled with pride. I experience a lot of woe. I experience a lot of woe to me when I start thinking in the negative and it's all going bad and it's falling apart. It's a lot of woe to me. And Jesus invites me, no, leave, leave that behind. Come to me. You're tired. You're burdened. My load is light. It's easy. Come to me. So there's the invitation. It's really, really early. Let's listen in and see where this takes us. Point number two. Come to me when you are burdened. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can't really see the tone of Jesus 
in print here either. We gotta pick it up from the words. Is he frustrated? Come to me. How come he's not coming to me? I don't think so. The words are full of good promise. They're almost magnetic. They're so invitational. They're addressing exactly what we feel. Are you feeling weary with all this? Are you feeling burdened? He's inviting you. There's a goodness in this invitation. It's, it's pulling on my heart. Is it pulling on your heart to come to Jesus right now? Every other approach to cope is not going to be enough. We're going to need those good gifts too that he gives us, but they lead us to him. Come to me. Now you may be angry at God, but he loves you. And he's saying it to you. Come to me. You're tired of all this. You're feeling burdened by all this. Come to me. There's his invitation. Point number three. Take my yoke and learn from me. In verse 29, we read, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. <laughs> Nobody says, take my yoke upon you in our day. We, we kind of lose what he's talking about because that's not our choice of words. He's using tools of his day, a yoke, which we may not even see its connection, and applying it in a phrase that was used in his day that was perfectly understandable to a Jewish culture in a Jewish day with uh, how they trained and called people and taught people. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he was using a common expression of a rabbi calling people to become his disciple. That's what that means, but we need to figure out why it means that. A yoke was a wooden contraption with other pieces involved, a wooden contraption that would pair two oxen together uh, to be able to pull a load together. So rabbis used it simply as an appeal to pair up with me. If you pair up with me as a rabbi and become my apprentice and walk side by side and step for step with me and imitate me and learn from me, um, you can be my disciple. Now, what Jesus says is even beyond what the typical usage was in that day for a rabbi. Because, first of all, Jesus really understands a yoke. The reason why he really understands a yoke is that Jesus' trade, before he went into the ministry full-time, he was Joseph's son. He was a carpenter. Joseph, his earthly father, who... Uh, Trained him, trained him in the trade, trained him in carpentry. Yokes were a piece of uh, the carpentry that they would do. They would shape wood and custom fit a yoke to a pair of oxen. So if you had a, a stronger, larger ox paired together with a smaller, weaker ox, you would custom fit the yoke so that the weight would be transferred in a way that they're both pulling at their maximum pull power, so to speak, but actually the transfer of the pull would be such that 
the weaker ox is pulling at 90% is pulling less weight than the larger ox pulling at 90% is pulling a larger proportion of the weight. Now, you can kind of get this if you can picture uh, in our day uh, pushing a car. If a dad got out of a car and, and said, come on, son, and a little boy gets out with him to help push a car, who's pushing the majority of the weight? And yet they're both pushing perhaps at 90 or 100% capacity, but one person is pushing much more of the weight proportionally. That's the image that Jesus is using. Take my yoke upon you. And it's such a powerful image because he says, my yoke is easy. He's a rabbi like no other rabbi. Other rabbis would challenge anybody and say, my program is hard. Only the strongest and the best will be able to, to hang with me in my program. There, the, if, you, if you walk with me in my yoke, the only way that you can even qualify is if you're the smartest and brightest and have the most scripture memorized, and then you can come with me, and as you walk with me, then you'll be like me, and it's going to be tough, and only the toughest will make it, and you have to be the brightest and best and toughest, and Jesus doesn't take that approach at all. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And what he's saying is, and we don't fully get it until after the cross. He's saying he's going to pull all the weight. He's going to make it happen. He wants us to partner with him. Now here's an interesting thing, because I talked about a father and a son getting out of a car and pushing together. That is a very good picture of Jesus' entire ministry. The father sends a son, but then the son says, There's, I can do none of this except for what the Father is doing. I just join with what the Father is doing. So Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, is functioning in his ministry only as a man can, so that he can show us apprentices how this works. So he has to get up very early and check in with his Father, because any ministry he does is going to be ministry that's in yoke with his Father. He's only going to pull as his father is pulling. He's only going to speak as his father speaks. He's only going to say what his father says to say. And that's precisely where we are at when we yoke together with Jesus. Every disciple who takes on the yoke of Jesus after the cross and after the resurrection fully understand that the only reason we qualify is not because we're so strong. It's not because we know so much. It's not because we've done this and this and this and we deserve to be his disciples. It isn't that at all. It is that Jesus did it for us. Jesus is so strong and so able, he received in his own body our sin and carried it away on the cross. And he says, come to me. My burden is light. Yoke with me. I'll even enable you to start pulling really, really large weights, way bigger than you could ever do because you're yoked together with me. Right before he left the scene after his resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And now we yoke together with Jesus and start pulling loads that are actually supernatural loads where he's pulling with us and we have authority that's transferred to us 
by him, through his Holy Spirit, that we say what the Father says. We say what Jesus says. We do what Jesus does. Through his Spirit, now that pairs us up with him, we're able to pull a load that's way bigger than any human being can pull because we are now yoked together with Jesus, one of his disciples. And he chose us not because we're so great. He chose us because he loves us and invited us. And when we respond to him, we learn from him. We become his disciples. That's a huge huge, powerful metaphor that's a spiritual truth that's bigger than metaphor that we need to enter into covenant with Jesus, receive what he has done for us so that we can partner with him and love. The hardest people to love and forgive those who are against us and bring goodness and the kingdom right down into our earthly experience. We tend to think of Jesus coming and dying for our sins so that we can get to heaven. That's true. But he came to bring heaven to earth. Where he was, he reigned as king. And where he was, the kingdom was there. And when he reigns in our heart, his order is restored to our hearts. And a little bit of heavenly order comes into our hearts and begins to be the kingdom of God inside of us. He taught us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's a gap between God's will on earth and God's will in heaven. He's saying, bring my kingdom down to your earthly experience here and now. Bring the commandments, bring the order, bring the goodness, bring the faithfulness, the peace, the joy, the kindness, the love that's in heaven and bring it down into your experience and allow the kingdom to permeate out from you. We're pulling this load together. Be my disciple. And it's not as hard as you think. It's easy. Take my yoke and learn from me. Point number four. He pulls the weight when you cooperate. Let me just say this. The most stressful, most frustrating position anybody can be in is when you believe in your head that Jesus is who he claimed to be and yet you remain unyoked. Conceptually, from Jesus' standpoint, it's actually a contradiction. And when you're a living contradiction, that you believe in Jesus, but you're living an unyoked life, that's the most difficult kind of life to live because you're filled with shame you're filled with guilt and you're busy resisting the answer. To let go of the woe to you, you're experiencing it and you won't come to him and yoke back together with him. Jesus calls us to be reconciled to the cross, be reconciled to him, to allow that to die in us, to be buried with him and cry out and repent 
We have the miracles that we've watched and the truths that we believe and we're worse off than Chorazin and Sidon if we will believe all of that and live unyoked lives that aren't bowing to him as king. Bowing down in humility and allowing him to lead. Walking stride for stride. When he commands, we trust him, we go. We do. When he says, do it this way, we say, yes, sir. We'll do it that way. And we trust him so much. Obedience is what we want because we know he wants only what is heavenly good for us. We're bringing heavenly goodness down into our experience as we yoke together with Jesus and walk with him. It's easy, but you know that in Scripture and in many other places, following Jesus filled with a lot of challenge and is very, very difficult. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, we got to take up a cross, which might mean our own death. So how can we reconcile those two? How could it be easy and difficult? Well, it's easy in this sense. He pulls the load. And it's easy in one other sense. It's the secret. When you're yoked together with Jesus, you're learning about how it works. You can't just take a piece of how it works and say, I'm a follow, yoked together. I believe in him. You have to take the whole package with all its disciplines. A disciple is disciplined. Do you see how that root word is right within the disciplines that we're learning? When he says, yoke together with me, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, take my disciplines upon you, take my commandments upon you, take my way of life upon you, walk stride for stride, the whole system. Don't come unhinged, don't come unyoked and go on your own. No, the whole system, when you do that, it's easy because it's like saying this, Professional basketball players make it look easy. Why? Because professional basketball players practice. They've put in the time far more than anybody else. Yes, they have some skills, God-given skills, but they've put in the time to hone in those skills and they make it look easy. You will never have an easy yoke until you put in the time putting in the disciplines that Jesus teaches us to employ. Pray the way he prayed. Know scripture the way he knew scripture. Lean on God the way he leaned on God. Look to the spirit, his power, and humble yourself before God and allow God's power to flow through you. Walk in the authority that is not your own. Humble yourself before God. Those are all the disciplines that you have to learn in practice sessions before the tough moment and the crisis calls you to take the buzzer shot. The buzzer shot is only easy for those who are employing the disciplines under the yoke of Jesus. Then we make it look so easy because it's not even us. We've drawn so close to Jesus. Jesus starts to talk through us and live through us, through his spirit. Things come out of our lives that we don't even know where they came from because layer upon layer upon layer we become unconscious of his goodness pouring through. We're so conscious of the things we need to humble ourselves for and ask for forgiveness for. And he gets all the glory. So we are at a come to Jesus moment. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to turn from? 
What do you need to make sure you open yourself fully to embrace the whole thing Jesus is asking you to embrace? You can't pick and choose. He's king. He brings you a whole kingdom, all his commands, the whole package, all the disciplines. You can't just say, I just want him as a savior. I just want the forgiveness. I just want to get to heaven. There's no such thing as a believer who's not yoked together with Jesus. We're saved because of Jesus when we are yoked together with him. So we must follow him by the same salvation that we're saved by. This is a come to Jesus moment. What do you need to pray about and confess? What do you need to turn away from and turn to? Come to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we humble ourselves before you. We are a rebellious, independent sort. Pride is at the root of just about everything. And to just humble ourselves and submit to you and walk in submission, yielding to you, yoked together with you, our pride resists it. I pray that you would, in your magnetic, powerful, kind grace, draw us out of that difficult, frustrating place to want this easy, light yoke, powerful because of you, walking in step with you. Yes, Lord, we need you as Savior, washing us clean. Yes, Lord, we need you as Lord, leading the way. Yes, Lord, we acknowledge your King, and we want to follow your commands, learn them, learn the disciplines, and find ourselves growing in the positive faith, a powerful faith, walking step for step, encouraging others in the good news. We love you. We turn to you. We thank you for our forgiveness and salvation and the empowerment through your Holy Spirit. I pray that if there's any here that aren't sure about their experience, that just like Matthew, they just drop it all and turn to you and learn and humble themselves and ask people, how, how do I do this? What disciplines are he, is he talking about? How do I put these disciplines into practice and learn from you? to learn how to enjoy an easier life that looks more like the heavenly kingdom and less like the mess that we see all around us with anger, hatred, violence, frustration. Lord, bring us your peace, your goodness, your joy, your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you.